Christianity is shockingly offensive and wonderful both at the same time. It is offensive because God thinks that we are so vile that he has to die for us. But it is wonderful in that he delights to do it. When you see the cross, you see the intensity of both God's hatred for sin but love for you at the same time. The truth is that the only real solution to the guilt and shame that you feel in your life is the cross. The truth of the cross is the only real solution for you to be able to stare death in the face at the end of your life and not run in fear but face it with courage and strength. And the cross is the only place where you find your deep cravings to be loved finally satisfied. All other religions and philosophies, they try to help you in some way to escape this guilt and the shame and this feeling of death that's coming for you and this desire to be loved, like an escape from it, like somehow this, we're going to numb ourselves and pretend like this isn't a reality, but in Christianity, you see your guilt and your shame and death You see it clearly and you see it turned to dust by the cross. You see it burned to the ground by the igniting of God's love that is seen right there at the cross. And it ignites something in this world that changes it forever. There is something, I've seen it happen over and over again with people, where they see the depth of their sin And they just don't know what to do about it. And they become desperate. And then they discover God's love. And it changes them to the core. Forever. It's real. And all of this, this truth about guilt and shame being dealt with, about death being dealt with, about love being satisfied, it is brought about through an instrument of death. The cross. It's like humanity's like, let's think of the worst thing that we can do to somebody. And then let's send God there. And God goes there delightfully to deal with our sin. We're in our series called The Gospel. And this word gospel means good news. It means it's the greatest news you have ever heard. And it means that if you are hearing the gospel and it doesn't sound like the greatest news you've ever heard, you are likely misunderstanding it or you haven't seen the whole of it, or I have messed something up. Christianity, well, the gospel, the good news. When I first discovered it, I saw it like a diamond, and it was beautiful. And it changed the way that I saw the world, it changed the way I saw myself, the way that I saw God, and it added color and life to everything. And then something happened where it felt like God was all of a sudden gone. And I felt numb to God, like I I wasn't awake anymore. And I kept looking at the gospel, this diamond, and I said, what is wrong? Why Why am I not seeing it for what I saw it as before? And then I realized something. I didn't find the whole gospel. I saw part of it. And then I discovered the whole diamond mine. And when I found the mine, 
It changed everything. And I realized something. That me and you, we all have these wounds in our life. We have guilt and we have shame. We have pain and we have difficulties that we're going through. And for whatever it is that we're facing, there's a specific diamond. There's a specific part of the gospel that we need in that moment. It's like Christ is the shards of these diamonds. And we have to find who he is. And we know all of what he has done. And we know all the promises that he's given us. And when we know all of it, the whole entire thing, then it's like we have this bag that we carry around with us of these diamonds, this great treasure. And whatever it is that we face, we know which diamond to take out. And when you have mastered that, when you know this gospel truth so well, that is when you begin to live the life that you are meant to live now. The abundant life that you're made for now. The life that it was once in Eden, but even, well, we're on our way to something even greater than Eden, if you can believe it. So today we see, as we're looking at this diamond mine, we go in and we explore and we find the diamond called the cross. This humble and amazing truth of what God was willing to do for us. So let me read it to you. We're going to be in John 19. It says, Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying mockingly, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out and said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and a purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again, and he said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, will you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. So he delivered him over to be crucified. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. After this, Jesus, knowing all was now finished, said to fulfill scripture, I thirst. A jar of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus received the sour wine, he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. We're going to ask four questions today, and the first question is, why did Jesus have to die? Once I was at a church event, and someone was there who was not a Christian, and they asked this beautiful and amazing question. Why did Jesus have to die? Why did it have to be him? Why did it have to be the so-called son of God? And the answer that he received was tragic. The person said, I don't know. 
please, you have to know the answer to this question. I don't see how actually you could be a Christian without knowing the answer to this question. And you cannot properly reject Christianity if you don't know the answer to this question. Because you would be rejecting something that you don't yet understand. So I want you to imagine something. I want you to imagine that God has called a special meeting with you. And you've been invited to go into his throne room. And you come into his throne room and you look up as he towers above you. And he looks upon you and he says some words to you. He says, I know who you are and I know what you have done. Now, if Christianity stopped there, it would be the worst news you ever heard, but it doesn't. It's true, though. He does say, I know who you are, and I know what you have done, and I love you still, and I'm going to make it be okay. Now, the question you should be reeling around in your brain right now is, how in the world can God know who you are, know what you have done, and at the same time say, I'm going to make it okay? There's only one solution, there's only one way for that to be true, and that is the truth of the cross. Because at the cross, you see both the love of God and the justice of God satisfied at the same time. You want to know the ultimate display of justice there, there has ever been? You look upon the cross. You want to see the ultimate display of love? You look upon the cross. They're both colliding there. And it's setting off a spark of life that covers all the earth. He hates your sin with a vengeance. And then what we are told is that Jesus not only clothes himself in that sin, but it says he actually becomes sin. On the cross, it's like the sin that we have is like running, coursing through his veins. And then in that moment, the vengeance that God has for sin, that he wants to destroy the sin, he destroys his son because he carried your sin on the cross. That act displays his justice but it also beautifully displays his love because he wanted to do it for you. In fact, we're told it was a joy that was set before him because he knew that the suffering would win him you. If you go to the cross, which is your place, your rightful place, what he loves is lost to him forever. But if, you, but if he does not go to the cross, or if you don't go to the cross, well, then justice is never satisfied. And if justice is never satisfied, well, then you don't get the world that you long for. You can never get heaven because you can't get in. If you let something sinful in heaven, heaven becomes tainted, and then heaven is lost. But if he goes to the cross, he both gets you and you get his world. So first thing we see at the cross is that Jesus dies for us as villains. But he also dies for us, villains that he loves, but he also dies for us as victims. We are victims to this tragic story. So not only has he seen us, the vileness of us, and said, I love you still and I'm going to wake him away, but he's seen the vileness of evil and death that have swallowed us up, and he said, I love you, and I'm going to make a way for you to get out of it, and it means the cross for me. So the cross means two things. He dies for you both as a villain, but also as a victim. 
We've been talking about in this series, Eden. And we've been calling it by another name. Because when God created the world, created Eden, he called it good. And the Hebrew word for good is tov. And it is a word that is absolutely packed with so much meaning. Because it means, if something is good, like tov, it means it has so much life in it, so much abundant life, that it is spilling over out into the world around us. Now, let's go back. Humanity had a goal. So, so typically you think, we think, you probably made this mistake, that Eden is a perfect place. Eden was not a perfect place. For something to be perfect means it's been brought to its end or its goal or its telos. It's, the mission is complete. Everything's done. But we're looking at, in Eden, the beginning. And for something to be tove in the beginning means it has so much life in it that it has the potential for perfection. So the goal of humanity all the way back in the beginning was to take the abundant life of Eden and grow it greater and greater until it spills over the walls of Eden and covers all the earth. Now God is the ultimate tov. He's the ultimate abundant life. You can't have life without him. He's the root system and you're the tree. And so you join yourself to him and then life starts rolling through you. And so the original goal of humanity was to take the life that you have from God and make it cover all the earth, which creates the presence of God covering all the earth. That was the goal. And then, well, an evil snuck into the garden and tricked humanity. And instead of us embracing God as life, we rejected him. And as soon as we rejected him, we were cut off from he who is life. And cut off from Eden. And now we're left alone, wandering in the wilderness, longing to get back from the place that we long to be back. Now, even before that happened, God went looking for Adam and Eve. And you know what they did? They hid from him. Do you know why? Their guilt and their shame. And it's likely that you are running from God from your guilt and shame as well. That's why the cross is so important. Because only the cross will give you the courage to go in the presence of God. Otherwise, you continue to run and run and run. Now, let's get back to you. When you long for acceptance, what you really long for is to go through the gates of Eden, walk up into the arms of God, and finally find the embrace that is so filled with acceptance that you say, this is satisfying everything that I've been chasing for all my life. Can you imagine finally being satisfied Finally not chasing something. When you chase perfect love, you're chasing the God who is in Tov and Eden, who will give you the life that you've been longing for. When you chase life, you're really chasing God. The good life, the comfortable life, the life that makes you say, this is joyful, this is peaceful. This is what I'm chasing, you're chasing God. No way of thinking or any other religion is going to give you that. They're just strategies. They're just ways of trying to climb over the the walls of Eden, but they're not going to get you there. No amount of rules that you follow can help you get over that wall. What you need to find is a door. And so you knock and you knock and you look around this wall of a way in, but there's no way in. The story of Christianity is the story of a hero who has come to be the door in, our way in. A hero who opens the gate. Now, when Jesus is up on the cross, 
There's a place where we are told that his side is pierced. And it's like the spear that goes into his side becomes the key. And as soon as it goes into him, he becomes the door that goes opened up. By faith, where you get entry in. To believe is to walk through him, the door, by faith. There's no other way in. And if you don't believe, you never pass through. Because you're not looking for a door. You're not looking for a keyhole. You're just trying to climb over to be good enough to earn your way in and it doesn't work. A life without faith is a life of continually knocking on that door, never to have it opened. By faith in Christ at the cross, you can experience no guilt in life, no fear in death, and a love that you've been searching for that finally satisfies your craving. Why did he die? For your forgiveness, for life, and for love. That's the first question. There's the answer. Second question. Who is he that it had to be him? He is the only one who could carry the weight of all the sin of the world and be powerful enough to live long enough for the justice of his, our verses say, the Son of God and the King of Kings. And he's the only one who could enter into death and live through it. He's the only one who could save us as both victims and villains because he's God and king. Now, I want you to just think of something. Think of the massacre that would be brought down upon you if you held all the sins of all the earth. You can barely handle the guilt of your own sin. Even if you're a Christian and you've been told you've been forgiven, guilt and shame still continue to plague you. They burden you. They hurt you. And sometimes it gets too much. And for some people, it gets so much that they're ready to take their life. The hopelessness that is felt because of sin. You know, when people get older, a couple gets older and somebody dies, soon after, often somebody else dies and following them, their spouse, because they're just so brokenhearted about what's happened. Now, I want you to imagine for you all the weight of the hopelessness of guilt and shame upon you of all the earth. And I want you to imagine a million heartbreaks that come down upon you. You can't live through it. Because you're not glorious enough to live through it. If something is glorious, it means it's weightier than something else. If you, take, if you fall down into a raging river, that raging river is going to carry you all the way to the waterfall where you go over, past the rapids, and drop down. But if there is a boulder that is in that raging river, well, it's weightier. It's, it's more glorious than the river, and so the river parts to it. And what you're really looking for in life is something to stand upon that can get you through the waters of sin and death and hopelessness. He is the most glorious of all glories. The weight of sin can't take him down. The grip of death can't hold him. Throw all the hatred of all the world at him and he remains unmovable. That's who he is. He can endure the betrayal of a friend, the mocking of a crown of thorns, a cat of nine tails that whips upon his back and then grips into his skin and rips it off of him. He can endure all of that after he has laid his glory aside. So imagine what he could do if he took it back up again. 
That's what he did inside of death. He took his glory back up again. In the light of his glory, the darkness could not hold him. He's the very definition of power, but he makes himself weak in order to show his power and love for you. He's the definition of love, and he endures the worst of hatred in order to display an even greater act of love. That's who he is. He was long promised to, in the Bible, to the world, and the world looked for him and could not find him because he was all too great for them to see, yet all too small for them to see at the same time. He came in weakness to show power. He came in love to destroy hate. He came in grace for the sinner. He came to lift the head of the doubt cast, and he came to bind up the brokenhearted. He is present everywhere. Yet when you are with him, it feels like he and you are just in that place alone together. He is timeless, yet he has come into the time that he spun into existence. And he is too grand to contain, yet he came into the world that he created. He is the hero of all heroes, yet he makes himself a victim. He humbles the proud and makes the proud humble. He makes children to run from him and he makes kings run in fear of him. He makes cowards into the brave and then he shows the brave why they should be cowards in his presence. He makes sinners into the righteous and then he takes those who are self-righteous and shows them why they are sinners. He makes villains into moral teachers and he makes victims into heroes. He makes the lame walk, the cripple rise, the blind see. The mute hear, the deaf hear, and he makes those who are dead alive again. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And he and he alone can do all this. And for all of eternity, his purpose and his mission was that cross. While our mission from the beginning was to create life, his mission was to come into the world to die in order for him to be the seed that is buried under the earth that would then sprout up and create new life. He was the long foretold suffering servant who would come into the world to save sinners. And he was victorious in what he did. And only he could do it. It is him and him alone. That's who he is, that it had to be him. Now the question, the third question, what kind of death did he have to die? Yours. He didn't just die. He died for you. He died in your place. He died to satisfy justice. He died to destroy evil and death for you. And it would be a death that would open up the gates to Tov, to Eden. See, when it says, he who knew no sin became sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God... That means that on the cross, him carrying all of that sin, all of that shame, running through his veins, the father, his father, looked down upon him in heaven, and he looked at him and the vile sin that covered him, and with wrath, he came like a fury down upon his son, hating every minute of it, but doing it for you. On the cross, like we read in our call to worship, when Jesus cries out the words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
It's in that moment. The only time that Jesus ever refers to God not as Father is right here on the cross. Do you know why? Because in that moment, the Trinity was ripped apart. The Father and Son who have been bound together for all of eternity, both before time began and after time ends, always were one until this very moment upon the cross when the Son is ripped from His Father so that He might suffer in our place and get what we deserve. And then it says that He thirsted. He was physically thirsty, yes, but this was a spiritual thirst about desire, about longing, because his father was gone, and then he was cut off from the land of the living, from life, away from Tov, away from Eden, in the desert, longing spiritually, thirsty, and yet he hears nothing, has no aid come to him. He dies alone in that desert, so that that might not be your end. His end is a new beginning. And we're also told that he had to die in order to claim victory over evil and death. Now, in the garden long ago when we were tricked, after we had been tricked, God made a promise. It was actually the first time that the gospel was preached, and it was preached to Satan by God. And the words that we hear is that God will send somebody a hero to come and crush the head of the serpent. And that serpent will bruise the heel of that hero. Jesus on the cross was bitten by the snake of death and then swallowed up by that snake of death. But there inside of death, he took out his dagger of love for you and he sliced death open and he came out so you would have a way out too. How should you respond to that? Last question. It all depends on what you want. We're told that he was crucified between two sinners. And we're told in a different gospel that one sinner accepted him and one rejected him. So the question will be, what kind of sinner are you? Are you one who accepts him or are you one who rejects him? And the answer is found in what do you want? Do you want to continue on in guilt and shame and the crippling effects it brings into your mind and your heart and your life and how it affects all of the people around you? Or do you want some relief? If you want to continue in guilt and shame, reject him. But if you want freedom from it, embrace him. Do you want entry into this abundant life of Eden, this abundant life that is found in this tove, this land of tove, this land of abundant life? Well, if you want it, embrace him. But if you don't want it and you want to continue barely living, then reject him. Do you want to keep experiencing this fear that we all have, this fear of being fully known and yet rejected? then reject him. But if you want to know what it feels like to be fully known and fully loved, accept him. Because it's found in him and him alone. There's no strings attached with him, except he just wants you. And do you want to continue to live in fear of death? 
fear of pain and suffering, then reject him. But if you want to be courageous in the midst of death, in the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering, embrace him with your whole heart. The question that you have to answer today is one question. What kind of sinner will you be? The kind who accepts him or the kind who rejects him? His arms are held out upon the cross reaching for you. So reach your hand and embrace him. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would show us why we should embrace you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, with all of our mind, with every bit of ourselves, with our very being. God, kindle in us this flame of hope that continues to grow until it grows into faith. And let that faith continue to grow in us until it spills out in love and in life so that we might be able to carry out the original goal, the original purpose you had for us, which is to cover the world around us with life. God, we don't want to just know that we have life in you, but we want that life to spill out over into the world around us. So make us into those people. People who have love, people who have life, people who have been forgiven, people who are free from guilt and shame, people who can stare death in the face and welcome it as an old friend that will bring us to our longing home in heaven. We love you, God, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.